Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. How do we start it? <laughs> Don't look at me that way. It was an honest mistake. Don't look at me that way. It was an honest mistake. An honest mistake. Yeah, What's up, everybody? You are listening slash watching the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Watt. Why do we do this to ourselves? You know, I we used to write music on YouTube, and this is now where that legacy is gone. <laughs> <laughs> it. Worth it. Totally worth it. Um, welcome to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lee Kwai. What happened to How's It? Oh, you made a mistake. I made an honest mistake. An honest mistake. You well, <laughs> speaking of mistakes, what are we talking about today, Josh? So we are going to be discussing something that we all do when we play Magic. You know, Commander is the most complex Magic format there is. Yeah. So biggest mistakes, the most common mistakes, the pitfalls, so that we can all avoid them in the future, hopefully. Yeah. I make many of the mistakes that we're going to talk about on this list from I definitely time to time. make the first mistake the most, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Um, but before we get into all of that... We need to call out our sponsors. If you go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone and use that affiliate link, you're going to be buying magic products, singles, playmats, sealed products. You can do that stuff anyway. If you just use the affiliate link when you do, you're really supporting this podcast and game nights and all of our content. That's right. Cardkingdom.com slash command zone. Another sponsor for the show and something else you can buy at Card Kingdom is Ultra Pro Products. As you can tell, we have we're always surrounded by Ultra Pro products. We use them on all of our game nights, shoots. Uh, they make obviously the best playmats in the business. They're always up to date with every single set. So any LGS that you go to or our affiliate link at Card Kingdom, you buy some Ultra Pro products. You are also supporting the show. And the final way to support all of our content is directly through Patreon.com/slash Command Zone. In fact, we call out one lucky patron every single episode, yeah. and this episode is dedicated to Nathan, Nathan Ritterson. Nathan. You rock. Yeah. We also have a very special message here, something exciting that's coming up. Um, it is available only to patrons. Mm-hmm. We've been asked about this a ton. Probably more than anything else on the show's history. 
So you people that skipped all of our little sponsorship stuff, you're not oh, going to even know about this, and uh-oh. you're going to be really disappointed because... Who clicked the time code in the comments? You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> we are giving away something really big on our 200th episode of this show. We are going to give away a guest appearance on Game Nights. Dun, 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 dun. That That's means right. you could be on the show. That's right. But yep. you have to be a patron, of course. There are, there are some restrictions. We're not going to list them all here, but the long and short of it is you need to be a patron and you need to send us an audition video. So because the show is seen by so many people, we're not just going to randomly choose. <laughs> we're going to choose from the patrons that enter. And the way that you send us the video is you make something that's three minutes long and it's talking about what commander deck you would like to play on game nights and why. Mm-hmm. It has to be three minutes or less. If it's three minutes and one seconds, you're disqualified. We just don't have time to go through thousands <laughs> of entries of people rambling for four and five and ten minutes. So it's three minutes in length. What commander you'd like to play on game nights and why. And that is your entry. As long as you're a patron and you meet the other restrictions, you will be eligible. We will fly you out to Los Angeles. We will put you up in a hotel. You will appear as one of the people at the table playing your deck on the show. Everything you've wanted, everything you've asked about. Again, we'll be announcing the winners in episode 200, so you have a few weeks to enter. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some further restrictions. You have to be 18 years or older. There's some legal stuff. We will have the link to that stuff in the show notes, so make sure you check that out before you enter. We'll also be tweeting out a link that's going to get you to a landing page that'll detail all of the stuff so that if you have any questions, don't send it to us. Just go to that link instead. And yeah, we are announcing this on the 200th episode, which should land in March but that means that you have to get your entries in before we record that episode, so like a week before that. But again, this will all be in that link, in the show notes and everything else, all the descriptions, everything you need to know. But very exciting. You could be on game nights. You could be sitting across from Jimmy and I and a currently unnamed guest. Well, probably next to us. We never sit next to each other. True. You'll be sitting next to one of us and across from the other one and across from some other guest. We're not sure who yet. Um, Yeah, very exciting. Can't wait to see all your entries. Again, Three minutes, no yeah. longer. Don't can be less. It out. Can Don't be less, it. but not can be less. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to our main our main topic, which is the ten biggest mistakes commander players make. I want to say at the start, we all make mistakes. It's nothing to be ashamed of. The problem is when you start making the same mistakes over and over again. Right. That means you're not learning. So today we want to go over these big missteps uh, that. You know, we see all the time around the EDH table mm-hmm. so that maybe we can stop making them over and over again, myself included. And these are in no particular order. Usually when we do top 10 lists, we list the best things at number one or, you know, that's these are just all mistakes. They all, I think, take different places on the... Yeah, uh, I, I didn't know how to... <laughs> we didn't know how to lay them out as far as like which one's the worst and which one's... So we're just going to name 10 and you can decide yeah. uh, the hierarchy. All right. And there are only 10 ever. They're not. They're <laughs> these are the biggest more. ones yeah, the biggest in our minds. Yeah. All right. Number one. Yeah, this is. I'll let you read it because this is. Um, this is the Jimmy Wong special. <laughs> you do. I do this sometimes. You do it a little bit more than I do. I think. See, it, my mistake is when I do it on game nights. All right, this is number one: keeping sketchy hands. So uh, it's very, very basic. You made a big mistake. You the worst way to start off the game of Magic: The Gathering was by keeping a hand that was not good or had way too much risk in it. So, well, I think it's even exacerbated in Commander and EDH as compared yeah. to other formats because. If you do that in limited or standard or modern, 
the if game you, might be over in like five turns. Yeah, it's, <laughs> the the agony is not is not stretched out like it is in Commander. You could be sitting there for ninety minutes or you know an hour because that's how long games can take. Yeah, where you stumble on mana, never drew your third land, you know, till turn six or seven, and you just don't have a chance to win those games, and it's not very much fun. Yeah. Uh, so in limited, you can sort of take a little more risk because if it doesn't work well, you can move on to game two and try again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you still shouldn't keep a sketchy hand in limited unless you have very good reason to. I mean, there are times, I think, in limited where, like, you've got a two-land opener, you need to get lucky, but going down to six, you know, you lose 20% chance to win that game. Right. So Or you're aggro, you have two drops in your hand, you only have two lands, you don't need to draw that third land necessarily. There's lots of different reasons why you might keep a sketchier hand. But let's talk about what a good opening hand looks like. And I would say the perfect opening hand out of seven cards, three of them are lands, one of them is a ramp card, one of them draws you cards, and then the other two just do things your deck wants to do. Yeah, I definitely want ramp and I want card draw. And of the two, I actually think I'd prefer card draw. Yeah, I agree. Because that can draw you into the ramp or other things you want. Mm-hmm. So I generally, I'll mulligan the first hand no matter what if there's not a single piece of card draw in it. Really? Even if you have beautiful three land hand with ramp and everything else? I mean, it'll have to be pretty powerful because I don't want to be in a situation... I mean, picture this, and it happens a lot, where you, you actually can play all the cards in your hand, but then you're, you've are you got one card or no cards. Right. And, like, your board looks really good, and somebody casts Wrath of God, and now, what am I? Just top-decking, top-decking, hoping. Where it's much better to have played a Phyrexian Arena on turn three. Mm-hmm. And now when those that inevitable board wipe or some setback happens... I still have six cards in my hand. Yeah, and you'll you'll keep drawing into more. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I think the only time I would keep a hand that has zero amount of card draw in it is if my commander can card draw. That's a good or point. Or if I know I have just a ton of sources of it in the deck. Or if I have like a tutor, for instance. That's the reason I think something like Thrasios or, you know, commanders that draw you cards or give you card advantage are so powerful because mm-hmm. they get they get you automatically the number one piece that you always want to have. Like right. if I have card draw in my opening hand, I'll keep it almost no matter what else is in it provided I can cast that card draw spell. If there's a Rhystic Study or a Phyrexian Arena or something like that, right. because that gives me a 200 or 100% chance, 200% chance, a double chance of drawing the things I need, because I'm drawing twice as many cards per turn, or Rhystic Study maybe even more. Yeah, Rhystic Study is probably one of my favorite cards to see in my opening hand, especially early. Um, I'd rather see it than Soul Ring, honestly. Yeah, also you should always consider your hand with your commander in it, because technically it is, if you think about it. Um, so that can help also shape a lot of things, being like, well, I have a hand that's like kind of playable, but oh, I also have this 8-drop commander in here. Maybe I should rethink how I looked at my hand to see if it's really going to fit my game plan for the game. Now, let's talk about the hands that tempt you. Yeah. So what do those look like? The hands where you they look you good. probably shouldn't keep, but you end up keeping. Yeah, I think they always involve some level of variance in them. So it's like, well, if this happens, then everything's going to be fine. And oftentimes, a lot of that is cards like Scroll Rack or Sensei's Divining Top. Yeah. Uh, anything that essentially allows you to like dig a little deeper or give you a little better shot at doing something or some kind of it's deck It's just a little gravy that's making you make yeah. a bad decision, but you're, you you can sort of... You justify it by going, well, this isn't a great keep, but yeah. I have a brainstorm in hand, so that's yeah, going to exactly. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, that's good, but it only allows you to look at two additional cards. It, you yeah. know, you're keeping a two-lander. You really need five or six lands. Does that do that for you? It's super risky. I think that was my worst keep of all time was one Ancient Tomb and a Sensei's Divining Top and an awesome hand otherwise. And I, I think you're the one that says this. is like, of course a hand is going to look great if it doesn't have lands in it because it's all cards you want to play. 
that's when I, whenever I'm tempted, and I often am, I think back to that phrase, which is that bad opening hands always look awesome because they're all gas. <laughs> it's all just gas. Right? Yeah, because you never look at your hand and go, sweet, a mountain and two islands. That's not the sweet part. The I'm other four sweet to the mountain part. <laughs> the you. other four cards are the sweet part. So when you look at a hand that has a mountain and island and five other cards, it looks great. It's always going to look great because you have so much gas in your hand. Yeah. But really, you need to be um, you need to be disciplined in that circumstance, and you need to mull that away. Also, like we play in a friend group that is very open to being like, look, you don't have a good hand, just mulligan to seven. Like, if you do it 20 times in a row, we're going to look at you strangely. Yeah. But, but if you if you don't want to go down to six the first time and you want to just, mull, go ahead. Yeah. You know, not partial Paris, but... Yeah, exactly. But yeah, go ahead, mull one more time fully. You know, we're watching you shuffle and everything. Like, it's not like you're going to cheat. You, you know? know, I think the partial Paris rule being changed did, did change a lot of how people structured how they looked at their opening hands. Because I think back in the day, you could have a pretty crappy opening hand being like, well, I'll just partial Paris away the bad parts and hope to draw into lands. Yep. That's the big part, too, is like you had an additional draw step. Or you could, if you had too many lands, you just dump a couple of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then it was like, oh, man, should I, if I have four lands, so I dump two kind of yeah. thing. Like, but, but now you don't have that option. You just have the seven-card hand that you have. So, yeah, don't keep bad hands. Make sure that you're going to be set up to go into the mid to late game. Yeah. Yeah. Let's Otherwise, you're just going to not have a good time. You're going to be sitting there not mm -hmm. able to do much. Think about it in life. Like, would you, hey, I want to race cars. It's like, well, you need to train. You need to spend a lot of time doing all the prep work. You can't just jump into an F1 and expect to go. And that's like bad opening hand. It's like you want to play that eventual long game. You got to make sure that the base foundation of what you're going to do in the first parts of the game work. All right. Oh, another hand that people like to keep that as bad is like having a coalition relic or something in two lands. Oof. And they're not the right colors, Oof. right? Like yeah. if you have a four-color commander and you're trying to keep a hand that is dependent on drawing a land and being able to play a mana rock that may be able to tap for extra, like you're really in a desperate spot there. Yeah, I, I don't... That, yeah. I think that's the only time I would take ramp or color fixing over card draws if I had like a four-color commander that I had to play. Yeah, I guess it would depend on that commander. Um, to me, the card draw is still going to get you the extra looks at extra cards that's going to yeah. find you that extra color. Whereas ramp won't find you extra cards, but right. cards will find you extra ramp, if that makes sense. Okay. Biggest mistake number two is impatience and also slash lack of having a plan. Mm. So you see this a lot, which is people just sort of playing their cards because they can. I've even heard people say that, but like, I'm just going to do this because I can. Yeah. It's just like, I have this in my hand. And it's this is this is a thing Craig, I think, if he falls in this category a lot, because he's so excited. He's like, I got Vorn Collects. I'm just going to play it. Yeah. Boom. Still still has a huge effect, right? It's not like he just played it into a counter spell. Like, he would have definitely not played yeah. into that. But he still just drops bombs when he can. Yeah. But the plan, you know, you need a plan with your deck. You, you shouldn't be just playing cards because you can. Hopefully, mm -hmm. your deck is built in such a way that cards work together. And you're thinking like, okay... Do I have another card that works with this card? Then it's okay. I'm playing it, and I'm going to play this card next, and mm. these are going to work together. But you see a lot of people is like, there's just a cool card. And then, you know, that's it. Overextending into the board, into board wipes, because they can play their cards. Right. I think impatience does play a lot into it, which is like, I haven't done anything impactful in a while. I want to see stuff happen. I want stuff to move. I want to feel like I'm contributing to something. I want to do stuff. I just want to do stuff. I didn't yeah. come sit here to play Commander tonight to not do stuff. Yeah. 
And that's the thing too, is you need, I think the lack of a plan is a big thing. Whereas like every single time, so I have a deck that is a, just a straight burn deck and it tries to combo out in one turn. And I think a lot of your decks have this too, where it's like, it needs to have that one big turn and then hold on to that lead. And a lot of times it's like, well, I could deal with a threat with one of these burn spells right now on the table, just because it's there. Maybe he hasn't even swung at me, but I'm just scared of it. Or it's like an Oracle of Moldiah. I'm afraid they're going to get too much value off of it. But that card is also very important to making your actual game plan function. So then you're balancing, all right, well, do I just play this out because I'm impatient and I think this has to get done? Or do I need to hold it back and think about what I'm trying to do here? Yeah, think about my plan. How am I trying to win this game? And do I need this card? If I do, then I should hold it as long as humanly possible. Yeah. And maybe you do eventually use it to remove something rather than try and win, but only in the most dire of circumstances. You yeah. don't just be like, well, I'm just going to kill that and I'll worry about not having this card later. Um, yeah, I put down not playing explosively. I do believe, and I've said this before on the show, that most games of Commander end by somebody playing, and I'm not a combo, not like an infinite combo, but a sequence of two to three, maybe four cards in a row on the same turn or yeah. on the end step and then on their turn. But quickly in succession mm -hmm. that add up and are difficult to stop because they were played together. Rarely does a game of Commander end where like, I played something, pass turn, pass turn, pass turn, comes back to me, untap, play something, pass turn, pass turn, pass turn, untap. You know what I mean? Yeah, have you ever played Tetris 1v1? Well, I've watched you guys play it on that show we did. <laughs> right, so you know what happens yeah. is that what you're trying to do is you're trying to send blocks over to the other person. And uh, when you score, let's say, you know, a gang of Tetris. Tetris is four in a row. And when yeah. you do that, you send a big pile of blocks. And a lot of times people think, oh, the way I'm going to win is just by sending a Tetris, building up, sending another Tetris. But that literally is playing a card on your turn, passing the turn, and waiting to come around because it takes a while to build up the thing to send that block down. The way that if you watch really competitive players do it is that they'll sequence it up so that they'll go bam, 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 and do like two, three, three, two So it lines. messes your plan because it like sends you blocks and then you're trying, okay, adjust to that. Send yeah. you more blocks. Oh, crap. And they're doing it in quick succession. They're not waiting and giving you time to clear out what you just sent them. So what happens is you'll see it, it like in a matter of seconds. One player's one player is sending all their blocks down. The other player's board goes like, boop, 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 and it's just way too fast for them to recover from. So that is kind of what you want to be doing with your event. Your yeah, sequencing. You know, we uh, played the other night, and I was Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know, if you own a home. It can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I was playing my Tim deck, and I had Empress Galena in my hands oh, from, gosh. like, the third turn. And that's a very powerful card. Um, we were playing Cassius, and he had a Planeswalkers deck. And because of <laughs> the new legend rule, Planeswalkers are now legends. And I knew Galena is going to be super powerful in this game because I have a player that's basically just playing legendary permanents. 
And so my response to this was to hold Galena in my hand for as long as possible. And I know that deck has a lot of effects that let me reuse Galena, untap her, and yeah. give her haste. And I re just refused to play her the entire game until I could play her and activate her at least twice on the same turn. I was like, I have Thousand Year Elixir in this deck. I have mm -hmm. Anger in this deck. I have Cure's Followers and Fate Stitchers to untap her. I needed a lot of mana. And I waited and waited and waited and just didn't just refuse to play her. I'm, I'll just do anything else because that card, if I do it right, will win me the game. Yeah. And eventually later, I managed to get her out, play her twice, steal two Planeswalkers, win the game that way. A lot of people, I think, would just play Galena on like turn five or six. Yeah, and that's actually what I did with my Kumana deck in the last game. That's because I didn't have haste enablers. I yeah, had untappers, but I didn't have haste enablers. So it was like, well, I just have to play her out. You're never going to be in a situation where you can play her and activate her on the turn, so there's no yeah. reason to wait. Yeah, You just pick a spot where you hope you can untap with her, which is fine. But if you know what your deck has and you have a plan, then you know I believe that's the correct way to play Commander almost always, which is to plan for a very explosive turn try and keep everything under control, set everything up and be like, okay, now I'm going to go one, two, three, four. Yeah. You know, it also means that combo. you're waiting and trying to see what they're doing. Cause it's like, I'm just going to play this out, which means that you haven't thought through, oh, maybe that opponent is ready to board white. You know, like this person hasn't played creature for four turns while everyone else has played creatures. They're playing white. They're looking at one card in their hand. Yeah, I'm going to play my cards out. It's yeah. like, ah. <laughs> hold on. So a part of that story with Galena is leads into the third biggest mistake Right. that I think a lot of players make, and that is not knowing your deck. you got to know your deck. I think this happens a lot because we excitedly build new decks and want to put new cards in. Maybe the deck isn't fully synergized yet, and so as a result, you just you kind of know what's in the deck, but you don't understand how the deck works or its main goal, or you're just testing it out for the first time, and that's when you run into the biggest mistakes. Yeah, and I think it's okay, right? Like especially early on with a deck you've just built, you haven't played it a lot, mm -hmm. you're getting to know it, know the ropes and how it works. You know, that that's not a mistake. But I think once you've had the deck for a while, it seems like there's still certain decks, certain people who just never seem to understand their deck. Yeah. And they're like, I go to Tudor. And in your brain, you're like, you got to get Skull Clamp. That's that's the best card in that yeah. deck for or sure. Or a board wipe. Or I know a Toxic Deluge. From, yeah, from yeah. playing against it. And they're just like, I don't know. You know, you can tell they can't figure out what to get. You'll hear us often say when we're talking about decks on the show, like, oh, the best card in this deck is X. Mm -hmm. It's Skull Clamp. It's Surge Spanner. It's blah, blah, blah. Knowing that is really important, right? Yeah. And it's not often the cards you would think, like Surge Spanner, you know, Skull Clamp. Those aren't game-winning cards. But those are the cards in most circumstances you're going to go get because... I disagree. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, they're not they're not game-winning yeah, in the on, way Insurrection yeah, yeah, is, yeah. right? Yeah, they're right, game-winning. Right, right. They're game-winning, but they're not what you would say is the best card in a deck when you just look through it. Yeah. But this, this card just makes everything else in the deck hum, you know? Mm -hmm. And so knowing those little things, I think, makes you makes your deck and you such a more powerful player because you really understand how your deck works, what pieces it really wants, Yeah. and, and not just the game-winning pieces. Everybody knows, yeah, when I got a, you know 15 tokens on the board, I go get Crater Hoof Behemoth. Yeah. That's not hard to know. What's hard to know is like on turn four or five, there's nothing really super scary out, right. you know, what should I be doing? What should I want to be doing? If I do something huge, everyone's going to turn around and kill me. Mm -hmm. If I do something not impactful enough, I'm going to fall behind in the game. What's the play I can make that's like the best card in my deck? You know, I can go get Skull Clamp. That's going to just set me up. And yeah. it's not going to be maybe right now or all the time super threatening to my opponents. A lot of times too, when you tutor early, it's knowing what card in your deck maybe is the most flexible. So it's like, okay, do I get... I'm playing against a lot of indestructible creatures or whatever. Do I get Toxic Deluge 
or do I get like a damnation right now? Or do I even need to tutor right now? That's the thing too. It's like your deck may have a ton of draw engines in it and you tutoring super early actually might be a waste of a really good tutor because you may draw into it given how much your deck draws cards or whatever. Well, you're taking something flexible and then you're nailing it down to something inflexible. If Once, you, once you've tutored for the thing, yeah. your options are, are diminished. Whereas if you wait, oh, now I, now I found out I need Cyclonic Rift, I'll go get it. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Number four. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and this happens quite a lot, oftentimes because we just want to play the game for fun, maybe because we're playing with a lack of a plan, maybe because we don't know our deck. It's easy to get lost throughout the game, too, and not even realize you've done this. Right. And it's angering multiple players slash not doing the right political thing. Uh, basically, setting yourself up for failure by attacking other players early, not making the right deals, backstabbing someone, going back on a promise. Even sometimes, to the last point, not tutoring up the right card in the right scenario. Like, hey, this person's about to go infinite. Can anyone stop it? You're like, no. He's like, no, actually, your deck can stop it. <laughs> you just have to do X, Y, and Z. So like, lots of different things can anger multiple players. Um, and we, we talk about this all the time. Don't pick fights with everyone at the table. It just does not benefit you unless you have some kind of way of stopping it. I don't even know there's an unless. I mean, it's inevitable in some games you'll become what we call the emperor, which is right. the, the most scary player, in which case you haven't technically picked a fight with everyone. Uh-huh. You've just put yourself in such a dominating position that they naturally are turning and all teaming up against you. But yeah. This is more about the person who's like, oh, on turn one, I sort of attack you, or not turn one, on turn three or four, I attack you, and then later, oh, you play something, I destroy it, and then mm-hmm. later, the you know player number four, I do something against you, and now it's just like, each player has a little bit of a grudge against you, right? Because you didn't concentrate your efforts at any one person, you just sort of willy-nilly were like, slap you, spit in your face, step on your toe. Yeah, or if you were like playing the police of the table, right? Yeah. Like, oh, my deck has all the removal for it, so it's kind of on me to remove the stuff. It's like, well... Not really. You're just not going to win those games because they're just sort of naturally inclined. Unless something major happens, you're sort of become the default target. And, you know, especially if you're playing like an aggro deck or a deck that's like, what is it that... um, that Craig's famous quote, you got to be like the junkyard dog. Yeah, junkyard dog. Latch. If you're playing an aggro or infect deck and you start attacking someone, you got to latch on and just... Until they're knocked out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I think... A lot of what happens, too, is when you're in a game and you make so many small decisions all the time. Like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. It might benefit one person. If it's like it might benefit the person that's been hurting you, it's very easy for that person just to not make that decision and sort of move on, do something else, take a different line and play in their hand that maybe it's like, okay, you have a ton of rocks and I play Vorinclex. You're going to be fine, right? Or if it's like this person's been angering me, I'm not going to play Vorinclex. I'm going to play this thing to destroy all the rocks instead. You know, like they, everyone is going to have a ton of decision points and the more, the less goodwill you have with other players, the more they're going to think about not helping you. Or just, yeah, and just little moments that you don't even know they really made that decision. Yeah. They're just like, well, this is going to hurt him a little, but I, do I care? No, I don't because of this thing earlier. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if he didn't do something to me, I might be like, well, I'm not going to anger them. Yeah. Or if you position yourself like, hey, this person is playing this card like a Howling Mind or whatever, and it's helping everyone out, but it's really helping me out. And like, I don't want to actually hurt this player. I don't want them to go out. But if they've been angering you the whole game or if they've been doing stuff that is against you, then it's like, well, I don't, All really, bets are off. Yeah, I don't really care about you anymore. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember this isn't just attacking. It's it's removing things. It's, you know, taking other actions. Table talk, too. Yeah, table talk as well. So on to number five. Number five is sort of inversely related to number one, right? It's not angering multiple players. It's angering 
the wrong player? Me. Actually, Josh. Don't anger Josh. Very often, I put, very often you don't want to poke the bear. There's so many times where we'll be at a table and some of you are like, well, he's the biggest threat. And you're like, yeah, I know. But I definitely do not want to make that person angry. <laughs> yeah, like well, it's not my, like right now it's all hail the king, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. Hey. I'm bowing. Yes, my liege. What, yes. What, what do you want me to do? I'm still plotting behind his back to someday hopefully. We're all little finger. Yeah, bring right? him down. But <laughs> right now, straight up confrontation face to face with that player is a bad idea. And people do this all the time, though, I feel like, just because it's like, well, someone's got to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone's got to stop them. So it's like, yep, and I hope it's you and, and I hope not it's me. You. Yeah, exactly. Or if I hope I'm the one that has to do it, it's a way that unilaterally fixes a lot of things. Like, the only time I want to anger the the best player, the, the strongest player at the table, is if it's one that even the best player has to go like, well, I guess you're right. <laughs> like, those, you can, those are the yeah. situations you want to get in. I want to team up with somebody to do it. So even if I know I have to destroy a thing, I want to team up with another one of the players at the table yeah and get them to do something too so at least the anger of the person is spread out right because i you know i just definitely don't want to draw the ire of the most powerful player at the table by myself yeah sometimes even the wrong player to poke isn't necessarily the best player they're just the one that also doesn't understand how to appropriately you know get back at someone or they take way too large of an action in response to something you've done like that could also be the wrong bear to poke you have to know that's going to be the response and be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, because, like, for instance, I just want to attack Josh sometimes because I know, like, well, Josh might just bring up something from the past that I don't even remember, <laughs> but it may just come into play, and, like, and then too little too late, I've done something that's angered him in a way that I didn't realize offended his whole, like, lineage of... My, my, you offended my lineage? My family, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a good example of this is in the most recent Game Nights, Craig destroys my Vidalcan Arori, and I'm just like, well, I'm just attacking you, Craig. Like, the next, yeah. And it had, a, it had an effect on the game because it was enough damage that he was low later. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he can survive another turn or two if not for that stuff, and... Yeah, that's just like, well, you did something to me. You're, you uh, will always elicit a response. I'm never gonna just like you. You destroyed something of just mine. I'll happen, just forget yeah. it. Yeah, you're always gonna get some payback, even if it was correct for you to do it. Um, well, he died to infect anyway, so it didn't matter. Da, 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 oh yeah, da. that's a good point. Well, yeah, that's the thing right. too is like Craig was at low enough of a life total where part of my plan before I drew Triumph of the Hordes was like, well, maybe I need to kill him first with damage, him, yeah. yeah, and then I'll go after Josh. Yeah, that's a good point. I forgot I was I forgot I was Triumph of the Hordes. Well, but that's the thing matter. is like because Craig could definitely. I mean, I think he felt that right. He had to like kind of play a little defensively after a second, and and Craig does not like that. No, definitely not. I mean, he's trying defensively, just, just trying to get Sakama out again. You know. <laughs> um, okay, number six. Ooh, yes. This one, I think, happens because we are just very ADD people in general in the social media slash internet age where we just don't pay enough attention to the board. Maybe there's something else distracting us. Maybe we're caught in a side conversation. Maybe we're the t kind of table that always looks at their phone. And I think it's easy to, after like game three or game two, to very quickly start becoming much worse magic players because there's still a lot, to, there's a lot to take in. Or when you keep those sketchy opening hands and you really not have any effect on the game, it's yeah. really easy to sort of get distracted and you're not really that invested in it. Um, yeah, so not paying attention to the board, just not focusing on the game, and then it snowballs on you because you miss things, and because you've missed things, you don't really know what's going on, and because of that, you're even more detached. Yeah. And before you know it, you're just like, wait, what? What's happening? Am I still alive? You know, this can happen a lot, too. I've seen this when 
it's you and I playing on the same table and two other players and and me, I'm like laser focused on what you're doing because I know exactly what your goal of your deck is. And I'm like, guys, this is happening. He probably has this in his hand. Don't forget, this can happen out of nowhere. But it's not that they're not even paying attention to the board. They just don't know enough about what's potentially happening. And they're worried about their stuff, maybe their other opponent's stuff to, to not understand, oh, okay, that's what's really happening on the board. Because there's a lot of hidden information, too, that people can't pick up on a lot of times. Yeah, and I, I want to separate this from people who don't know all the cards. That's totally fine. If yeah. you're new to the game or you just haven't played a ton or there's cards out that you don't understand how they work or what they are, you've never seen them before. We've all been in that position. That's so totally fine. Because I'm constantly going, wait, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> but I take the card, I read it, I sort of get an idea, okay, that's there. I know that exists. It's different than the person who's like not really paying attention and they're like, oh, wait, you did what last turn? Right. They cast oh, like three things. Come on. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, I would have done this in response yeah. to. And it's like, oh, we're in, we're in for some trouble. Yeah. I mean, okay, fine. Take it back. But man, could you, could you please pay atten- try and pay attention? Like, because yeah. we're all trying to play here. And it also leads you to play mistakes. Right. For sure. So uh, you wrote down something really good here, too, which is it's okay to ask questions. And I think that's actually a big part of table talk and politicking as well. Is like, after you ask the basic questions of like, what does that card do again? It becomes the do we need to do something about that card? You know, like, or like asking other people's advice and putting the pressure and onus on them to say like, yeah, we need to get rid of that or get rid of him or get rid of her immediately. You know, in our group, there's a question that gets asked quite a bit with somebody will be like, okay, is there anything on the table that we need, that I need to be worried about? Yeah. Because they're like, I've paid attention, but I may not see something you see. So I'm inviting you to sort of help me threat assess here. Yeah. And that I think is one of the best parts about commander is that it is, you know, we're everyone's teammates and enemies at the same time. Yep. Um, all right, number seven. This is sort of the biggest complaint we hear, I'd say, people bring up. We've made an, with these entire episodes about this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the number seven biggest mistake that commander players make is improper threat assessment. Yeah. This is um, this is a complicated one, so we're not going to go super in-depth on this topic. Like you said, we've done a couple of episodes on this yeah, I think, idea. I think it's just called threat assessment is one of yeah. the episodes. So if you want to check that out, please go look for it. Um, there's a lot of things to remember. It's that I put here, what's bad for someone else isn't necessarily bad for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what we get caught up in this people going, and, and this is something we just hear constantly, which is like, oh, my play group, they're just so bad at threat assessment. They just blah, blah, blah. They let this thing here and that there. And it's like, yeah, because you're looking at it from your perspective. Right. But if I look at it from Jimmy's seat, he might not be as scared of aura shards as I am because he doesn't have a lot of equipment or artifacts and enchantments mm-hmm. in his deck. And that's not a big problem to him. So he doesn't see it as a threat. Whereas you're going, we need to destroy that. And he's like, eh, yeah. I don't care about that. It's kind of nice. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Now, sometimes you're like, it's food chain. We're just all going to lose. Yeah. And in those cases, when people don't understand, like, I don't, I need to get rid of a combo piece or something like that. Sure. That's. That I think that is a mistake a lot of times where it's like, but again, we're all playing this game of chicken in some ways where it's like, can I wait? How long can I wait? Because I'm trying to, it's like a race where I'm trying to get to my win condition before you do. And right. sometimes I have to stop and knock you down, but that also costs me something. And, and by, starts climbing yeah, and by doing that, did I get ahead or did I get behind? And so sometimes I just need to risk it yeah. and allow your thing to be there because I can maybe outrace it with my, you know, big explosive turn. Yeah, I think I think that is true. Like something like food chain comes down, I think people have to realize, okay, this has to go for various reasons, or we have to have a plan to stop the person next chance they get to use it or whatever. Um, 
but yeah, the not necessarily bad for you is a big thing because I'll find myself complaining about something on the table and everyone's just kind of like one person smirking because it's actually helping them. The other person just doesn't care because they're like out to life and they just want to live. And at that point, it's not that you even have bad and proper threat assessment. It's just that you maybe could have made better decisions pr- before this all went down to stop you from getting in this part where now because of one card your opponent played, you're just shut out of the game. Yeah, a lot of times... That's a really good point, right? A lot of times I think you're losing the game and you're looking at this card, this moment that Mm -hmm. they played, but you actually are in that position because you allowed some value engine to stick around for too long. Right. It was inevitable they were going to come up with some, you know, sort of threat because they had so many cards, right? And they were going to get there before you because they had a value engine of some kind going. So that that can be a problem where, like, you're looking at the wrong point as the problem and, and really it was back three or four turns well, i mean improper threat assessment could also be as simple as not blocking the right creature yeah or not counterspelling the right thing you know that's you incorrectly assessing the threat of something coming at you i've seen people throw away creatures in limited games because they didn't want to lose life right and so that's them not assessing the fact that two life is not worth a card or whatever or you know like different things and small little bits and pieces like that yeah, they're not thinking about the other cards in their deck sometimes. You know, the, mm-hmm. knowing your deck comes into this, which is like, okay, that's bad for you. But, but. You're, the answer I have in hand right now is Utter End, and it can answer anything. They've got a creature. If I just draw a creature, I can block it. Yeah. I have a lot of creatures in my deck, so I don't want to use an answer that's, you know... A I flexible have... answer for a small thing like that. Yeah, exactly. So I think also a lot of people with threat assessment, they don't factor in the player dynamics enough. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's a threat. Is it a threat to me? A lot of times you can afford to wait because somebody, that person who played the threat has actually picked fights with everybody or right. they poked the bear or they're now the biggest threat. And so I don't have to be the one to answer that because everyone else is going to be trying to answer yeah. it. Yeah. Even sometimes if the threat that they put down is bad for you, but it's making everyone angered, so angry at that person that they all turn on them at the same time, that's actually good. That's you know? good Maybe for you. Maybe you do want it to stick around. Maybe you just play around it in a way. I think threat assessment goes... It's such a broad ranging topic. It's whether or not you point out something at the table for everyone else to hear, or it's you decide to not play a certain card out of your hand. There, this happens so many times where someone will have something like an Aura Shards out, and then someone's like, Marari's Wake. It's like, what are you, you're giving them the juiciest target. It's like they went hunting, and then you're just a magnificent <laughs> elk that just was like, well, I'm just going to reveal myself and Elmer. stand right in front of you. Yeah. A magnificent like, Elmer is what I uh, went to yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. So I think a lot of times it's, it's based on what you have in your hand. It's based on what you think other people are going to do in response to the threat. There's a lot of assessing that happens here, and it's not just, oh, that card's bad. Everyone should know. I wrote down, taking care of something that's bad only to lose to something that's terrible. Yeah. This is a mistake. You, I've done it. We've all done it where you're like, I wish I would have held this one card and not use it on that thing. Right. Because that thing was not as bad as what eventually ended up killing me, and that would have answered the kill me thing. It could have been like uh, Tragic Arrogance in yeah. the last game nights, right? Yeah, Mel chose to um, counterspell my Tragic Arrogance, and then she ended up losing to Triumph of the Hordes. Um, and that was a situation, I believe, where, yeah, Tragic Arrogance was kind of bad for Mel at that point, but it wasn't game-losingly bad, mm-hmm. whereas Triumph of the Hordes was game-losingly bad. And at the end, she was like, yeah, I wish I would have held my Ar- Arcane Denial. Um you know, she hadn't thought about the possibility of Craig having Triumph of the Hordes, which to Mel's, in Mel's defense, she hasn't played with Craig enough to understand that that you always have to worry about that card in his yeah. presence. And no one ex- expects the... No one expects the Spanish, Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> I was trying to think of an infect version. The, the Spanish, Spanish Infestation? Infestation. Infestation. I don't know. Sounds like that rats. That doesn't work, yeah. Um, 
All right, so on to number eight, which is related to uh, improper threat assessment. It's complaining about improper threat assessment mm. instead of capitalizing on it. So all the people that always come to us and say, you know, so-and-so, my playgroup, or people in my playgroup, they just can't assess threats. They just let things happen and blah, blah, blah. Hey, listen, you have identified a weakness in your opponent's game. Now it's up to you to take advantage of it. That's what gaming is. Yeah. If you find out that in basketball that your opponent can't dribble with their left hand, it makes defending them way easier. You don't complain about it. You make them go left every single time because they can't do it. This, If they can't assess threats very well, that's a leak in their game, and you can now play out things in in a manner that you maybe normally wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You know, you can put down something that would normally be scary, but you know they just don't tend to answer threats. Or... It depends, right? Because if their threat assessment goes the other way, where it's like they'll remove the thing they shouldn't remove, <laughs> then you maybe hold it, wait for them to yeah s- find something scary that's not that scary, and then well, that's the, yeah, that's the other thing is like what you're like you know they have a board wipe, you know they have removal, you know they're probably not going to use it at the right time, so let someone else be the victim of that bad decision as opposed to you, you know, running that risk out, you know. So I think yeah, it's definitely true. You can you should always take advantage of someone else's weaknesses, whether or not it's their deck oh, this person's playing mono red, my enchantments are going to be okay. Or if it's them, you know, just not making the right decision. Or it's like, this person's always turning their cards sideways. That means I can probably try and sneak in a Triumph of the Horde kill. You know, like there's lots of different ways that you can take advantage of people's incorrect play. Um, yeah, but I think complaining about it is is actually the wrong... You should be like, oh, sweet. They don't know about threats. Yeah. Their threat system is not good. Now, how do I tailor my play now to take advantage of that? I think that's one of the fastest ways, too, if you want a better play group to make people improve is by capitalizing on someone's weaknesses. But yeah, I don't think bickering and talking about it and complaining on Twitter is going to actually make them better at threat assessment. It ain't going to make your life and happier. And it's really hard to also just tell someone to do something better or teach them without them figuring it out for themselves. And that's the same for me. It's the same for, I think, everyone on the planet. There's a saying, uh, I think it's an Eastern saying, which is that it's, it's, um, it is a wise man indeed who can learn from another's mistake. Oh. You almost always have to learn from your own mistakes. It's true. That's a good point. All right. Number nine. Playing at sorcery speed. Which is kind of what the when people first learn magic and the idea of an instant is kind of foreign or instant speed effects or triggered. Uh, not tri- yeah, they get confused abilities. by it. It doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, it's like, okay, I can do this. And the way it works is I take my turn, then they take their turn, then I take my turn. And people that played Hearthstone before playing a game like Magic also have this sort of embedded into them that you can only do things on your turn at specific times. Uh, so playing at sorcery speed is goes to a lot of things, whether or not you build your deck to only play at sorcery speed or you're just unable to capitalize on when the best time to do something like activate an ability in response to something or playing at someone's end step. There's lots of different ways that playing at sorcery speed ends up affecting you but i think it starts with like deck building yeah it's a it's a deck building thing but i also think in the game there are various points where and i like to think of this around turn like seven eight nine where yeah maybe more like eight nine ten uh-huh. where winning of the game can start to happen right in normal non-competitive play groups in competitive it's way earlier but where you're looking around and it's like okay with the right sequence of events somebody could win the game or, or basically win the game on any of these turns. There's just mm-hmm. enough mana and things in play. And so under those circumstances, it's really incumbent upon you to play in the most flexible manner possible because you could be the person winning the game, 
But you also want to leave yourself open with no way to respond if somebody's about to win. And right. you need to you know, have your answers or the things you can do ready. And that's one of the reasons we love Vidal Canori. We talk about it all the time. But I think there's just so many times when it's like, yeah, I could play this Vornclex or whatever. But I'd rather play a five drop, hold a few mana open, and be able to just have one removal spell yeah. in case something I don't see is about to happen and I can stop it and therefore live an entire turn. And that really does affect deck building too because a lot of times I've found myself when my my less well-built decks where I'm like, well, I have five cards in my hand. I can only play one of them right now. I don't have the ability to play one and hold mana up. Yeah. Or if I want to hold a, a counter spell or a removal spell or something to interact with someone at instant speed, I have to just literally pass the turn. And then you get hammered in by a bunch of people hitting you with different stuff. You don't have any sort of board presence. And so as a result, you really do lock yourself down to only playing at sorcery speed or sometimes only being able to play one thing at instant speed. So I think having that flexibility is really big too. I mean, maybe that's sort of like a hybrid number nine, which is be able to be more flexible with your game plan so that you have the choice to play at instant speed when you need to. And the things you play at sorcery speed are going to let you do that. Yeah, I don't actually think it's a literal sorcery speed as far as like only casting casting things it's playing that way it's having yeah. it's playing in a manner that leaves yourself the most flexible with the most amount of decisions at the most amount of times so whatever you've got in your hand and out on the board at the moment i like to maximize my ability to respond over mm-hmm. my ability to sort of even develop my board or anything a lot of times you'll see me like okay i play something small or nothing at all and just say go because i really am like I just want as much information as possible. I want to know, are you going to attack me? Well, I don't want to guess. I want to actually see you go to attack me, and then right. I'll respond. Because if you don't, then I don't have to use the thing or blah, blah. You know, that that kind of philosophy over which cards you play and, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah. All right. Number 10. The last uh, of the top 10 biggest mistakes commander players make is no politics. People who don't play politics. This is a game for fun. Leave the politics for Thanksgiving dinner with the family. I just don't play politics in EDH. I just refuse to do it. I hate EDH because of all the politicking. Here's the thing. You're in a game. There are more than two people. Mm -hmm. So there's social dynamics. You can say you're not playing politics. All that means is you're losing at politics, <laughs> right? There's, it's inevitable. But was well, it's like some quote like by not playing the game you've lost. You've lost the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I want to say that politics is not just speaking because mm-hmm. we tend to think of politics as the things you say and like, you know, pointing out other things or trying to get other people to attack each other. But it's also what you do, how you do it and when you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, actions are part of politics. You know, the things you choose to take out, explaining why might be part of it because that's talking. But you can be political without being extremely vocal. Yeah, and also I think when people hear the word politics, they see it as this very like big and div- divisive thing when politics could be as easy as like, all right, I'm going to ping this guy and you're going to take one damage right now because you did something to me earlier. Or like, I'm going to get rid of this one problem like creature, but we can all agree that it has to, get, you know, like very smaller, much smaller things can be political. It doesn't need to be like a, all right, well, I'm going to try and kill you right now. And if you don't, it's because, you know, it's like, I think Well, it people, doesn't have to be like, you absolutely should try and get rid of this thing. Cast your card on that thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Swords of Blasters is his thing. Come on, man. Right like, now, that's yeah, going to kill of us. Yeah. That, that's what people think of as politics. But politics can also be just being aware mm-hmm. of the little dynamics. You know, we said earlier, you can anger multiple players without even really knowing it. Because on turn two, you did something small. Turn four, you did something. Those There's a lot of time in between turns. Turn six, you did something. And you don't even know that in every player's head, they're like, well, if I get a chance, I'm going to get that person back for that. Yeah, yeah. But 
somebody watching could know that mm-hmm. and be like, uh, they're all going to be a little upset with Josh because he's been, you know, sort of taking little bite-sized pieces out of different players. And so I know that. And now I don't have to talk or do anything. I'm just aware there are politics happening, mm-hmm. and I can take advantage of it in my plays by knowing the dynamic that's going on at the table. Yeah. EDH is such a complex game, and having four players, either you're all best friends or you've just met in LGS, there's so many different layers to how you can play the game and how people play it incorrectly. Politicking has to be one of the most defining characteristics of the game, and if you are just not interested at all in contributing to it or even learning how to be better at it, then Commander might not be the format for you, honestly. I mean, if you enjoy a multiplayer game in any kind of board game, there is always a level of politics involved. In pretty much, I can't think of a single board game that doesn't have politics that's multiple people um because at the end of the day even asking someone advice on how to do something or you know pointing out someone that's winning faster than everyone else and they should all do something about like that's all layers of politics i think we just need to expand our definition of the word so that's it involves everything from the very minute to the the biggest proclamations yeah but and i also think like a lot of people need to redefine what politics are to make it palatable for them you know yeah it's not just lobbying for things to happen a lot of it is just paying attention knowing what the landscape is like socially yeah and then taking advantage of that and you know can often say very little and still be involved in the politics because you understand all the undercurrents of things that are going on and 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 a little can go a long way too it can just be like i destroyed that thing and i'm like I'm a graveyard deck. It's a death right shaman. I have to do that. Yeah. I mean, in politics, too, I think if you start re uh, change, sort of re-altering the, the meaning and the word of it to maybe be more of negotiations or discussions or, you know, deals, deal-making instead of just politics, because I think that word itself just has a weird stigma to it these days that people can't sort of erase from their minds. So, negotiations. Negotiations. I like that. On all levels. All right. Holding people hostage. <laughs> politics yeah all right um pillow fort that's that's the top 10 biggest mistakes commander players make now time for two the listeners what is the biggest mistake you think many players make that we didn't talk about so is there an 11th uh 12th it's probably plenty are there any particular mistakes that you yourself the listener makes that you know you need to fix like uh, keeping sketchy opening hands. And how did you fix it too? Yeah. Right? It could be, is it like, hey, I decided to start just being more vocal in general around, you know, board games and stuff. And I've learned how I picked up on different things. You know, was it, you know, I, I took a, a class in debate <laughs> at college, you know. We could, heard from, we hear from a lot of people that just listening to our politics episodes sort of gave them a jumping off point where they could start to sort of you know, try out the politics, try some of the things we talk Mm -hmm. about. And just by doing that, it sort of erased the stigma, got them used to it. It's just like anything. If you practice it, you're going to become a little better at it. It's just having the willingness to sort of dip your toe in the water and give it a shot. And we've had a lot of people go like, you know what? After your ex-politics episode, our play group all decided that to embrace it. And now we have a ton of fun playing. Because our group loves the politics and we actually see it as one of the fun parts. And even in the midst of like these little arguments, we'll like look at each other and laugh because it's like, oh God, we're lobbying yeah, so hard. Yeah, I can't believe we got this far. <laughs> and being able to separate the game from real life too is a big deal. Yeah, um, yeah just making sure that you don't take a, a grudge or a gripe into real life because it's you know, you're playing with pieces of cardboard. Some of them are shinier than others. <laughs> and if you want to buy the really, really shiny ones, <gasps> like Azor's Gateway, I just I just uh, picked up a couple because that Ooh, card nice. is ridiculous. Nice. Um, go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone 
Use that affiliate link and you'll be supporting Game Nights, supporting this podcast and all of our content. And we really do appreciate it. Yep. And as well, Ultra Pro, always a sponsor of the show and Game Nights as well. Very easy to pick up their products. They are located everywhere in the world, essentially. Uh, you can definitely find them at your local gaming store as well as carcano.com slash command zone. So thank you to both of our sponsors, as always, for being a part of the show. Okay, now it's time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. This one's cool. So earlier uh, this, uh, not this year, we're in 2018, but at the end of 2017, my co-host Ashley Adams, she hosts the cooking show with me, Feast of Fiction. She had a baby, a congratulations, baby boy, Ashley. Sawyer. Yeah, very big congratulations. Uh, she had been, man, she pregnancy is crazy. <laughs> I mean, she created a child. She well, created her. a child. It was nine months of her. Uh, it was really interesting because I've known Ashley. Oh yeah, you got to see her yeah, like every through the entire yeah. thing, and she she let me know really early on, so I knew as well. Um, and I didn't realize this, but it. I mean, I kind of realized it right that the body is obviously going through major changes to push out a baby, a full on sized miniature human in nine months. It's insane. But the, it comes with a whole suite of emotions, mm-hmm. of, of weird cravings, of mood swings, and, and restless nights, morning sickness, all sorts of crazy stuff. I didn't realize just how impactful it was on someone. And I, and I you know, Ashley and There's I There's a talk, lot of dads out there like going like, oh man, Jimmy. Yeah. Nodding their heads. Yeah. And so Ashley, of course, because we talk all the time, I got to hear a lot of it firsthand. So, you know, I think big props goes to everyone that has ever had to endure a pregnancy. But, you know, it was crazy because the moment the child came out and I kind of had this in my mind. It's like, Oh, it's the, it's the movie thing, right? It's when it happens and you see it for the first time, you hear these stories, everyone's perspective changes. And then all of a sudden it's the greatest thing in the world that exactly happened. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it, it was just like, oh, I'm so glad that after nine months of this turmoil that it did end up in something very positive and happy and fulfilling for Ashley. So big congratulations to her. Congrats, Ashley. Now Sawyer is the name of the, the little boy. Um, are they like fans of the show Lost or something? <laughs> I don't know if I would name my kid Sawyer after watching that show, honestly. <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> Who's your favorite character on Lost? Oh, um, I think it was, uh, what's her name? Um, Evangeline Lilly's character. Kate? Kate, yeah. 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 I-, I like Kate a lot, too. I thought she had the, um, for one, she was I mean, I the only, whole show. Uh, full disclosure, I only really watched like the first three seasons before I realized they didn't know where they were going and I got <laughs> bored with it. And so I think later on the show she got like less, but in the first two seasons she was awesome. Yeah, you know it's funny because the best characters got better in the later seasons because that they're like, well, I guess we can just focus on character development. So, all right, I like the dog. Two insteps. You got lost in there also. Yeah, right. Yeah, don't don't go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's a waste. Of time. You can watch the first season and be happy. I think the second season is actually pretty good, or at least the first half of the second season. Yeah, you can watch the first two seasons, but then you realize they don't know where they're going. Yeah, they don't I mean, actually I mean answer the creators the of the show. They never answer yeah. any of the real questions in the show. They just do this thing where they give you more mystery boxes to open. Blech. A couple of guys who will answer all of your questions about the <laughs> modern format. On the Masters of Modern Podcast, which is our sister podcast, Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman, you should really check them out. You can find them on Collected.Company right next to us, or you can follow them on Twitter at the MMCast. Yep, and our editor for the show is Terry Robertson doing the video and audio versions of this podcast. You can watch those online at YouTube.com slash The Command Zone Podcast. I highly suggest you do it because that's where you can also find our Game Nights episodes that Terry also contributes to, as well as our lead uh, background animator. I don't know even what to call Jeffrey. He's a jack of all trades. He, he's he just, makes he's just the Magic the Gathering animator. Yeah. He's the animator, yeah. And you can find him at Living Cards MTG on Twitter. He does the intro and outro uh, graphics for the video versions of 
this podcast. Oh, Jeffrey was just on the Kitchen Table Magic uh, podcast. Oh, KTM? That we have both been on. Yeah, with Sam. Uh, very interesting to learn about Jeffrey's process. I mean, I knew a lot about it, obviously. We've both we both been on it now. Sam does a great job. He when he, The whole uh, time I podcasted with him, I was like, man, he, he, he researched everything. He knows every detail of my career so far, and it was great to be able to talk about it in that sort of in-depth way. So Yeah, highly recommend the Kitchen Table Magic podcast. Okay. Well, three end steps. Three end steps. Well, that one was definitely in the world yeah. of magic. But. The, the extra two end steps are free, everybody. We won't charge you this week. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Peace. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.